I've heard all my life on various occasions, one person can really make a difference. Is that true? Can we explore that and see if it's true? Can one person become so significant the world is altered because of that individual? It kind of intrigues me to think that somebody here today or watching on live stream could be in the next few years become engaged in some life-changing venture, some leadership role that affects history. That's kind of remarkable. And I'm also very sure those of you that will be engaged in that kind of an action have already discounted the thought it might be you. Mm. Think with me of individuals in world history that have changed the direction of the world. About the 16th century, the Bible was in the hands of the clergy. The church was in the dark hours in Europe. And only the clergy understood Latin. People didn't know what it said. People were kept in ignorance, and the clergy wanted it to be that way. Then they made up all kind of stupid stuff, religious works and penances and payouts. It was corrupt morally and spiritually, and they loved it because the common people couldn't read, couldn't interpret Latin. Nobody knew God from a hole in the ground. But there came a man who saw beyond superstition and ignorance in that hour. He was just one among thousands of monks. We wouldn't call him great. And like all other monks, he was driven by guilt. And God turned on the light in that German monk named Martin Luther that salvation was by grace through faith. And Luther had the courage to carry that light to places of darkness at the risk of his own life. He was one of a group of men called reformers who protested the religionists. So we became known as Protestants, Protestants, and we've been protesting ever since. The church had kept the common people in ignorance long enough. The Bible was now to be in the language of the people. And through the Reformation, ignited by Luther, the Bible came to us in English, and little by little, people were free. One guy named William Tyndall, uh, incredible story if you Google it, he published the first Bibles in English. It was considered heresy by the corrupt clergy. They tied him to a stake, strangled him, and burned his body into ashes. You have no idea that your English Bible that you take for granted that's just thrown around, at what price was paid so you could read it in your own language? Because it was forbidden, heresy. You could be burned at the stake. These men gave their life for that. About the same time, another man who was a painter, sculptor, architect, scientist, engineer, and dreamer came along named Leonardo da Vinci. He was an illegitimate child, a brilliant man who dreamed dreams nobody else dreamed. His curiosity was consuming, and he changed the world. Inventors who, who couldn't be overlooked. Uh, Benjamin Franklin in the history of the United States, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and scores of others who thought thoughts outside the box nobody else had imagined possible. And through hard work, perspiration, and some inspiration, went on to avenues never considered possible. And they turned the dreams they had into reality, and we're the benefactors of it to this day. Think of musicians who put harmony and chords and rhythm together in such a way the whole world of music got changed. 
Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, the Rolling Stones, Barry White, the Supremes, and a host of others. Come on, stay with me. And then there have been explorers. He didn't need a map to know where they were going. They dreamed of lands and oceans and rivers and mountains. And there were politicians, though few, who cared more about right and wrong than being voted again into office. And there are many we can thank for guiding us as a nation and as a government. There have been preachers that have rocked nations. There have been military giants who have won victories in order to preserve our liberty. And if we got real practical, we could name athletes and coaches who dreamed up ideas, strategies, and plays on a field that put a team or a school into the Olympics or a nation on the map. Single individuals, not groups of people. You know, we, we set a new pace with these people. And speaking of nations, I was thinking about countries whose whole redirection took place because of one individual. I was thinking of France, the impact of a Napoleon, Charles de Gaulle, thinking of Great Britain and Winston Churchill. Never, never, never give up. <laughs> who, who can ever measure the impact Germany felt when that maniac Adolf Hitler took power? In the United States, I think of Abraham Lincoln, who stood against the prejudice of slavery and gave his life for that. A Martin Luther King Jr., who gave his life. In Russia, Stalin abused his nation, killing over 30 million of his own people. I think of Mikhail Gorbachev in India, Gandhi, just one individual. In Greece, perhaps Alexander the Great. I'm thinking of oceanography and Jacques Cousteau or Bob Ballard who discovered the Titanic. In mathematics, Albert Einstein. But here's what I've noticed in my world travels and great cities of the world that the statues of the great men and women are always single. I've never seen a committee on a statue anywhere. The world has never been changed by a board of anything. It's always been one visionary, one thinker, one speaker, one kind of a person who at times worked with boards or committees, but who said, this is the way we're going to go, even if others are doing it differently. And they changed the course of history. How many did it take to help the victim who got mugged on the Jericho Road? One good Samaritan. How many were chosen by God to confront Pharaoh and lead the exodus? Just one. How many sheep got lost because the object of concern was one sheep to the shepherd? Just one. One sheep. How many were needed to confront adulterous David and bring him to his knees in repentance? Just one. How many prophets were called to stand before wicked King Ahab and predict a drought over the nation? Just one. How many did the Lord use to get the attention of the land of Israel and prepare the way for Messiah? Just one. Folks, listen, it is God's plan to use one individual, male or female, to reshape and redirect events in his world. And that could be you. It could be somebody coming next week who will hear a strong gospel message from us. It could be some woman coming to Chosen. You don't know. Or it could be somebody like Rumpelstiltskin. You're still alive. You're here, but you're asleep. And you're going to wake up and change your world. You just don't know. Now, in Ezekiel 22, here's a land in desperate condition. The priests, the prophets, and people 
are all corrupt and spiritually bankrupt. In Exodus 22, beginning in verse 25, God says, your princes plot conspiracies like lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people. They seize your treasures and extort your wealth. More taxes. <laughs> they make widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions. They've defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what's holy and what's not. They don't teach my difference between what is clean or unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored among the people. And then he says, your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. Washington, D.C. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. Those false prophets say, my message is from the Lord when the Lord hadn't spoken a single word to them. Even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. Now, I don't know about you. That kind of sounds like today. Amen. Ever see such corruption? And if you and I had lived then, no doubt we would have thought, can anybody make a difference? Probably not. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. Here's God talking. And I sought for a man, not a committee, a man among the people that should make up a hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. In the midst of national, political, and spiritual corruption, God wanted one person, not a congregation, just one person he could lead in creative and unusual and courageous ways. And one man who would walk with God could have altered the course of that nation. And God said, I couldn't find a single one. In 2 Corinthians 16, verse 9, says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show Himself strong on those whose hearts are fully towards Him. That means if you have a heart that's right, God sees it. He says, you're my woman, you're my man, you're the one I'll use. I use Luther, I use Wesley, I, I used Isaac Watts, Whitfield, Moody, and I'll use you in this generation. Now, my concern is that many of you will discount the fact God will do that. But the search, well, it goes on. In fact, only rarely does God do anything alone. He does, but it's rare. Mostly, you, you'll be hard-pressed to find anything God does where He does not use an individual. Rarely. So, let's go through Scripture all the way back to Genesis and see God work through an individual to change the world. In Genesis 6, verse 5, God looked at the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He said everything is, is evil. Everything these people think about is evil. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One guy. Noah was 120 years building that ark. In the New Testament, he's called a preacher of righteousness. Imagine spending a century building an enormous barge and preaching to people who just mock you and make fun and insult you. And as a result, only eight people on the face of the earth were delivered from judgment because of one man who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then following the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, I'm walking you through Scripture, going somewhere, God confused the language of the people. The building of the tower ceased. Now the people dispersed and different cultures emerged and different nations and languages. So God determined He would have one people all his own. And this was going to be how he would bring Messiah in. So God would have to begin with 
just one man, a pagan Iraqi in the Ur of Chaldees named Abram, later to be Abraham. In Genesis 12, God gives us this man's story as God calls him out of idolatry. In Genesis 12, first four verses, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's family, and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on the earth will be blessed through you. He didn't have a clue how that was going to happen. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he started. 75. That's my age. That's when he got called. So I don't want anybody listening to me today to say, I'm too old to be a person who can change the world. That's nonsense. Abraham didn't even get started till he was 75, for crying out loud. Quit drooling on yourself and thinking your days are over. Why don't the grandkids come and see me? Because you're not any fun, that's why. Some of you have reached a time in life now with older age when for the first time you got some spare time, you got a reasonably good deal of energy, and perhaps more money than you've had in your young life. And God may want you to use some of that in events that could change the course of time. Through the loins then of another one man, Jacob, the Hebrew people were divided into 12 tribes, one tribe for each son of Jacob. Jacob got his name changed to Israel, meaning prince with God. And these 12 sons lived under their father's roof until a time of great famine. He sent them to Egypt. And when they came to Egypt, they met, here we go, one man. And they didn't recognize him as their lost, long lost brother, Joseph. And I'm convinced when Joseph got thrown in a pit, sold into slavery into Egypt, put in jail for false accusations of sexual assault, Joseph thought, like you and I would think, well, I guess my life is over. But through a series of magnificent events, God used Joseph and made him prime minister to establish a plan for Israel's survival. Genesis 45, verse 5, Joseph is speaking to the brothers who betrayed him. He says, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourself for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your stinking lives. I added stinking. I'm sure Joseph thought that. God sent me. What great theology and perspective. Rather than bitterness and retaliation, God sent me. God needed to get him in a place to get him promoted in order to save his people to continue his redemptive plan that was going to go all the way up to Jesus. But he needed one man. One man chosen by God to preserve a remnant of his people. That means you'll never be a choice vessel of God if your heart harbors revenge. Remember, God uses your adversary. Just find out what he wants to teach you through that adversary. So Noah made a difference. Abraham made a difference. Joseph made a difference. And then there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. And he started to oppress the Israelites. And these Hebrews went through a real holocaust. They were enslaved. They were forced to make bricks without straw. It looked dark for the nation of Israel for 430 years. But one woman, ah, we get the girls in here. One woman, not fearing the command of Pharaoh to kill all the male babies, put her baby in a small basket, 
floated him down the Nile River, knowing he would float right down to where Pharaoh's daughter was taking an oil of a lay bath. Sure. And this Egyptian princess picked up this little Hebrew baby, named him Moses, took him into the palace. God's man, God's deliverer, a tiny little puffy baby. Old Pharaoh didn't have a clue. He was just bringing in the one who would overthrow him. He had no clue. I wonder if we have a clue what's in that nursery. Not Not an idea. And at the age of 80, at 80, Moses gets a call. You old people listening? 80. Moses stood by a bush that burned and wasn't consumed, and God spoke from that bush and said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Moses heard it, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then God says, now go, Moses, for I am sending you, not the team, you to Pharaoh. Moi? You, (laughs) Moses, and you are going to lead my people out of Egypt. I will send you. And Moses, after a lot of arguing with God, that's typical, led Israel out of Egypt. One man. The exodus of Egypt was not by a board or a committee of anything. It was one man God decided to use. And yeah, he had all the excuses you and I have. I'm not smart enough. I don't speak well. I don't have a high school education. Blah, 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 blah. Then in Joshua chapter 1, God passes the baton of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead, and he ain't coming back. He's talking to uh, to Joshua. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set your foot on the land, I've given it to you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. And here's good news. When a man or woman of God dies, nothing of God they carried dies. When a person upon whom God has used in your life passes off the scene, nothing of God passes off the scene. Verse 7, God says, be strong and very courageous. Don't be a wuss. Be careful to obey all the instructions I gave Moses. Don't deviate, turning left or right from them. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. So the book of Joshua is a story of invasion. And these Hebrews that began with Abraham were delivered by Moses out of Egypt, came into the promised land, and as they're about to occupy model homes and enjoy wells they didn't dig and eat from vineyards they hadn't planted, they would gain affluence they had not earned. And God warned them, hey, listen up. Don't start believing your own press. You're not special. Watch out. You'll become weak when you get fat and sassy. And Israel did exactly that. They forgot the God who put them where they were. And as a result, Israel went through another series of down times where God had to raise up individuals at different times and seasons. Each time they went into captivity, he picked one person, a judge. And these were men and women singled out by God to bring his people out of disobedience and out of the bondage to the enemy. These judges were people like Deborah and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Verse 17, Judges chapter 2, yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. 
how quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's command. So the book of Judges is a story, a cycle, seven times of obedience, which leads to prosperity and affluence, which leads to weakness and idolatry and failure and ultimate defeat. Then in despair, Israel cries out to God, help. And he sends them another judge, one person. And he goes on and on and on, one cycle after another. Then the last judge and the first prophet comes on the scene who will anoint the first king of Israel. His name, Samuel. And we see the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. 40 years each, 120 years. And in the affluence and spoiled lifestyle of a Solomon, by the way, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's a lot of pantyhose in the bathroom. That's a lot of mother-in-laws too, huh? It just passed my mind. I still have a little carnality in my mind when I read stuff about it. So this spoiled, Solomon had it all. And the kingdom of Israel divides. Some move to the north, set the capital up in Samaria. The rest stay in the south, Jerusalem. But they are forever at civil war with each other. A house divided can't stand, neither can a nation. Finally, when a nation stays at war with itself long enough, the enemy takes over. So the northern tribes were invaded by Assyria. They were assimilated and disappeared. The southern tribes were invaded by Babylon, taken captive for 70 years. And during this time, there were prophets who wrote and spoke. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Daniel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and a host of others. And they were prophets who saw Israel through times when life was at its worst. Each of them were men who affected their world at the time God brought them to the stage of human history. Eventually, some of the southern tribes were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, and the city was devastated. It was in ruins. And one man led them to rebuild the walls, Nehemiah. Then there was another guy who was a priest, Ezra, and he brought back the Word of God in the town center. And then suddenly there was a period of silence for 400 years. Nobody spoke. Nobody wrote for God. God didn't say anything. Between Malachi and Matthew, four centuries pass called the silent years. Then a strange man wearing camel hair, eating locusts, looked like Sonny Bono. He merged on the scene, and he spoke of a Savior who would deliver them from their sins. It was John the Baptist, one prophet who broke the silence of 400 years, preparing the way for the coming of Messiah. And then a little baby was born into Bethlehem, who grew to become Messiah. And talk about changing history. He even changed the dating system you sign on a check. He divided time into A.D. and B.C. And because of him, God's Lamb, he took away the sins of the world. He trained 12 men. One betrayed him, committed suicide. The other 11 became Christ's apostles. And one who had denied him at the cross became the most significant spokesman for the church and is highlighted in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. His name? St. Peter. Following Peter, the most significant individual to finish the New Testament, writing 75% of it, was one guy. His name was Saul, and after his conversion, Paul. The book of Acts is the only unfinished book in the Bible. We're still being included in the history of the church. God is still looking for people who are available. Don't ever underestimate the power of one life, your life, 
your child's life, somebody coming into this service we may never see again, their life can be altered forever. You remember the person who told you about Jesus? Did that change the course of your life forever? One person. Now let me just deviate and say this. I remember sitting at a luncheon working as a public relations director for an electric utility, and the guy's name was E. Wayne Wall. He, he was a pastor of a startup church working as editor of the newspaper of that utility, and he witnessed to me over lunch, very, not, not very religious, just very common sense, but he led me to Jesus. He never had more than 200 adults ever. He was a scholar. He was a brilliant author. The man was a great theologian, but as far as the church goes, he never had much. And sitting there at that luncheon table, I wondered if he ever had a clue what would happen to me because I never had a clue I'd ever be standing here doing this. Not a clue in the world. And he went on to heaven with very little. But I think one day when I see him in heaven, I say, hey, Wayne, what do you think about this? <laughs> Can you? He's probably going to say, I can't believe it. <laughs> I was at a birthday party the other night, and a guy named Derek was telling me he got invited to a Bible study hosted by Nico and George Arujo, and he hadn't seen Nico since school days. And he said, is that the same Nico? He could not believe this rebel had become so significantly changed that he's leading a Bible study and inviting people to know Jesus. You just don't know, folks. God just chooses one, just one. And he chooses unlikely ones. Quit ruling yourself out. Quit ruling your children out. That most obnoxious child may have the most significant call on their life. It's a battle. Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore by one man, Adam, sin entered the world. Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 15. For if by one man's offense or sin, that's Adam, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus, abounded to many. So sin came into the world by one man, Adam, and death passed on all men. And God brought righteousness and salvation into the world through one man, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. One person can change your life forever. And when your life gets changed, then when you get married or have children, instead of passing on the curse of Adam, you pass on the blessing of God. You change generations. You have no idea of the impact of that. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.